Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All to finish with as well. Into the path of Stuart Slater. Slater charging into the box. Needs some support. Finds Martin Allen. Oh, Martin Allen can't find the finish. Bishop shoots and there it is. Ian Bishop. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Lockdown Interviews. I don't know when you're listening to this, but for me, wow, it's Wednesday, which means the Premier League is back. Cannot wait. On this show, we're joined by Cherry's midfield maestro, Ian Bishop, who, despite his short time at the club, has been described by John Williams as the best natural talent he's ever played with. Bish played 54 games for us in the season after promotion back in 1988 and helped Bournemouth to their highest ever league finish at the time. He went on to have lengthy spells at Manchester City and West Ham before retiring over in America where he now lives. He's been an artist, a poker star and is now a seasoned podcaster too. Always an entertainer, forever an icon. This is Ian Bishop and with him, Neil Dawson, but first, Jeff Hayward. Enjoy. Ian, how are you? Good, Jeff, and you? Very good, very good. Also with us is podcast regular, Neil Dawson. Neil, how are you? I'm very good, very excited about tonight. Can't wait to get, get going. Excellent, yeah. Real trip down memory lane. So, Bish, if I can call you Bish. Obviously. What um, what was it like when you first started playing? Because you were growing up and playing in Liverpool, Football Mad City. Was it easy to get spotted? Uh, probably not. I mean, obviously it was for me, but but probably not for the, for the majority of people. All, all it was, was was playing Saturday for your school, Sunday for your Sunday league team. And 
from maybe six, seven years old, I was playing two years up with, with my older brother and, and, and obviously his mates. I was obviously always tiny compared to the um, people I was playing with, but it was just football every day. From as soon as you got home from school, well, to be honest, before you went to school, because I remember I used to dribble a ball to school, a tennis ball, dribble a tennis ball to school, put it in my pocket, knowing that the teacher would take it away from us, and then at break time, play time, whatever you want to call it, recess over here, we would play with the tennis ball in the schoolyard, or if the teacher, we did get caught in the in the corridors before we did go out, they'd take it off us. We'd play with stones or cans or, you know, and, and then the fence, the fence that surrounded the school kept the predators out or kept those criminals in. <laughs> we would use the bars as goals, you know, the bars and the fences. And um, it was just football every day. And if the teacher did take your ball off, you'd get it back at home time. You'd dribble it home and you'd go straight over to the field. And there might be 30, 40 kids coming and playing footy. So you, you very quickly knew how to keep the ball to yourself because if you didn't have it, you would never see it because there was that many kids wanting to play, you know. So, And then obviously when it went pitch black, you'd have your, yeah, your mum shouting, <laughs> now it's going dark, you know. And and that was life. That was everyday normal life. So it was, it was just more than your life football. It was all you ever thought. You just wanted to get through school get through the time, not necessarily learning anything or studying anything. It was like looking at the clock, how long have we got before we can go off a break or we go off for lunch or we get the third break and then home time. It was all about football. It's a, Obviously, Liverpool's renowned as being a football-mad city. Who did you support growing up and who were your like childhood idols? No, I'm an Arsenal fan. Really? <laughs> oh, really? Oh, no. <laughs> Six years old. Wembley, 1971. Uh, I went against my whole family. It tells Johnny you what, tell you what my character was like. At six years old, I went against my whole family and all my friends. And I remember doing laps when Charlie scored the winning goal in the 2-1. Um, what I didn't realise was I'd been to my first game, which was Bill Shankly's testimonial. And I always believed I was around about eight years old at the time. And then I realised recently when I did, I did an interview with somebody and I ended up saying, telling them that was my first game. My brother was in the army and he'd taken me and my older brother to the game. And at Anfield, at the cop end, there was a boy's pen in the corner, which was, it was like a jail. It was obviously metal bars. But you'd pay to get in the boy's pen and then the bars would be bent. And if you were small enough, you could crawl through and get passed down over everybody's head mm. in the cop when there was like 30,000 in the cop standing. So my older brother would be waiting with his arms up, letting everybody know where to pass us down. And I've only just found out recently I was four years old. Blimey. It was April, so I was five in May. Oh. So here's me thinking I was eight or something. My very first game, Bill Shankly's testimony, I think it was 1970, was... I was still four years old. And that's what football meant to us. And I mean, we, we had a, in nappies, the first thing I did when I started working was, was kicking things around. But were you always a midfielder, Bish? No, I was, uh, I was a little right winger at first. Um, through my 
obviously the, the younger years. And I, I only changed to be a midfielder when I went to Everton, really, with this on schoolboy forms. And it was a case of back in the day when I was a winger, I was quick then. I was quick for the kids around me and the people my age. Maybe it wasn't I was quick. It was just that I was, you know, tricky with the ball, maybe. And I never passed it. I remember playing Sunday League and I started off on the right wing. I scored three. And then my manager, because it was an, sort of an easy game, he brought me back into the middle of midfield, scored another three. And he put me at right back. I scored another three. And then he put me in goal. And I dribbled out and scored again. Just a point, really. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter where you put me. I'm going to be, I'm capable of doing that. And we ended up winning 19 0, which, you know, that's what happened Sunday League, you know? It yeah. does. It does indeed. How did, so you, obviously, you then got picked up by Everton. Um, uh, so just chat to a little bit about that. And also, there must have been some players that went on to achieve great things in that Everton youth team, were there? Uh, well, when I think back, we'd, we'd got to the Youth Cup final. Um, I played when I was 16, playing with the 17s and 18s. We, we had a strong team then, but didn't get as far. Steve McMahon's brother, John, was playing. Um, I don't know if you remember a player, Kevin Richardson. Yeah, yeah. Dick Cheney. Um, and then the year after, we had, a, we had a sort of strong team. Robbie Wakenshaw, he went on to play. He made his debut at Everton, played about four or five games, ended up coming to Carlisle on loan uh, and played with me at Carlisle. Ian Marshall played at Oldham and Ipswich. Uh, mm. uh, Johnny Morrissey was at Tranmere. So we had, a, we had a strong enough youth squad. I know Mark Farrington, after we played Norwich in the final that year, we, we lost 3-2 at Carroll Road. There was 10,000 there. We had the second leg at Goodison. There was 15,000 there. And far as Mark Franklin, he scored two at Carroll Road, or two goals. He scored two in the three in the second leg and missed a penalty in extra time, which would have won it for us. And then we had the the, the replay. It was a toss-up, whether it was at Carroll Road or Goodison. Now, at that time, Everton first team was struggling. And we were cleaning boots, don't forget. We were cleaning boots for the first team players. The first team were only getting 11,000, 12,000. And yet in this youth cup final, us apprentices, we got 25,000 in the in the week. <laughs> Can you imagine us running around the training ground in between the games? And the first team players saying, where's my boots? And we were like, ah, oh, go and get them yourself. <laughs> Fantastic. What? What was it? What was it like? Because your opportunities in the first team were pretty limited. I mean, you, you you played just once, didn't you? Was it was it tough because they were such a quality team at that period? Yeah. Well, look, it was. I'd signed one year pro, and I'd made my debut when I was eighteen uh, against Man United. It was two weeks before the Watford Cup final, so I know he was resting the likes of Peter Reid and Paul Playfair. Um, there was a strong reserve team there then. You know, the likes of Andy King and Trevor Ross, uh, Alan Ainscoe, Alan Biley. You know, they when when Howard first came, I think he bought everybody. He bought the world. And and I realised then that it's going to be difficult for me to break through. Funny enough, at 15 years old, when I got off an apprenticeship, I got off an apprenticeship at Liverpool as well. And when I looked at it then, I thought, I've got more chance of breaking through at Everton 
than I have at Liverpool. So I chose to go to Everton. And ironically, later on, another three years later, that same thing had happened to me. It was hard for me to break through. And if you remember, back in the mid-80s, they were the best team in Europe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. GD, Reed, Bracewell, Richardson, Trevor Stephen. It was going to be tough for me. I didn't want to sit around. I was 19 years old. Playing reserve team football, which was fine. And I had done that for three years by then. But I didn't want to sit around. And then uh, Howard brings me into the office and tells me, Bob Stoker wants to know if you've, you want to go to Carlisle. Carlisle was in the second division at the time. And he said, look, you've got nine months of your second year left. He said, you don't have to go. He said, but come the summer, nine months later, I don't know what position you're going to be in. He didn't say get out. He didn't say I want to sell you. He wasn't going to make money on me. It wasn't going to be fortunes. And he said, Bob Stokoe's been on the phone. He'd been watching you in the reserves. He wants to sign you. And Bob Stokoe, living legend back then. You know, the 72 Cup final. It was smuggling mm. leads. Mm. I thought, you know what? I gotta make it, I gotta make a choice. It was hard because going to Everton for them four or five years, just jumping on a bus and traveling 10, 15 minutes to the training ground, you know, breaking through and, and making me debut. You know, my family were there. Two hours, two hours drive north seemed like a million miles away. Mm. And you know. I just thought, for me, football, it's probably best of a go. And I decided to go. You know, um, two, hey, years, I'm sorry. two years later, I've got 60-odd league games under my belt. And my mates at Everton are still playing the reserves. So, yeah, it's right probably the right thing to do, you know. It must have been a massive culture shock at first, though, wasn't it? Because in those days, um, obviously, we, you know, Bournemouth were a lower league side, so we were used to watching it. There were hard men, renowned hard men in the game, young players dropping out of the Premier, uh, Premier League or First Division used to get kicked off the park. Was it a bit of a, was that first season a bit of a Jesus moment or did yeah, you take yeah. to it like a duck to water? No, no, it was tough. I mean, look, my, very, my debut, I think, was Palace, Crystal Palace at home. And we played a 4-3-3. And the three in midfield was me, Pop Robson and Tommy Craig. You know, two absolute heroes of the game, you know. Mm. And they're both 39 or 38, whatever it was. And there's me sitting in the middle. Bob's got me sitting in the middle and got them doing my running for me. <laughs> <laughs> nice way to do it. When you, when, you, uh, when you played for Carlisle, you played against... Bournemouth, gosh, it was, uh, I think it was November 86, mm. and it was down at Dean Court. I don't know if you remember that game very well, but you were you were um, widely hailed as being the star midfielder on the pitch, albeit Carlisle lost 2-1, and but you scored a, a late consolation goal. Did did that kind of impress Harry? Did, were you aware that you'd made an impression at, at that stage? I had no clue. No clue whatsoever, because uh, I like a season and a half or whatever it was later, I'd missed maybe five months of the season with an injury. And my contract was coming. We'd had two relegations. And my contract was coming to an end. And obviously you have the feeling. I went there I went there with the intent of not being there long, using it as a stepping stone to get back into the top flight. Um, it didn't work out that way, which, you know, you can't skip football, can you? So, um, 
I took the gamble, let my contract run out. Carlisle wanted me to stay. A new manager had come in. Uh, I, I'd, I've been through quite a few managers there, to be fair. When things are going wrong, that's what happens. But uh, Clyde Middlemass had, had come in. I think he was an assistant to was it Terry Dolan for a long time, maybe at Bristol City. And he, he lovely fella. I still speak to Clyde today, actually. Um, not that Harry ever wanted me to, but that's another story. <laughs> so, um, Clive had sat me down and said, look, we want to offer you this. And, and the money wasn't great. I mean, obviously, it wasn't great then anyway. But I said, no, you know what? I knew about the tribunal system. I'm going to take a chance. But I shouldn't have come back from injury. I shouldn't have played that season. But because I was letting my contract come to an end, I figured I had an ankle problem. None of the specialists could figure it out. I just couldn't get rid of this pain. I just thought, sorry, I've got to go through it. I've got to play the last six or seven games or whatever to put myself in a shop window. So I played the last six or seven games. And and look, when you're losing, because we've been relegated from the second to the third and then directly from the third to the fourth, even in that fourth division season, we ended up finished second to bottom. So when you're losing, you, you don't really think people are looking at you. You don't you believe in yourself and think, I'm better than this. But in reality, I was a fourth division football. That's who I was, you know. I didn't kid myself. But I just thought, I've got to play these last games with my contract coming to an end. I've got the offer from Carlisle, which is great, thanks. But I, I feel I'm better than that. So I'm going to take that chance. And as soon as I played the last six games, strapped the ankle up, got through with a bit of pain, thinking I'll have the summer, maybe six weeks to rest there, and I'll be good as new in the new season. And then I get a phone call from Harry. I didn't know about Harry. I didn't know about Bournemouth. I, you know, I'm up there in Siberia. <laughs> it was Siberia. It was cold. It was like six inches of water. The, the, the golf course behind the stadium used to flood and people would be out in the canoes and that, you know. Or when the golf course, we made some plastic skis and went skiing. Like, we could have broke our legs or whatever, you know. But it was, we made the most of what it was. Football wasn't working, so... And then, yeah, Harry called up and he went, well, do you want to come down and have a chat? I went, okay. And I swear to you, while I was on the phone, I didn't know what division almost were in. That's total honesty. Had you, think, had you figured out how long a car trip it was going to be? Yeah, I didn't have a clue where it was. <laughs> you know, you're so isolated. I've grown up in Liverpool. Moving to Carlisle was like going to the end of the world. Mm. It, was, it was actually closer than Bournemouth to Liverpool. So it was like, you know, and it was only one road, M6, point it north and you'll end up in Carlisle or you'll miss it and end up yeah. in Scotland <laughs> or get the green and get married. So we had, we, had one qu- we had one question, which was, did Harry lock you in a room as he did with some others until yeah, he signed? He locked me in the nicest room in the Highcliffe Hotel. <laughs> and he couldn't stop telling me this is where Margaret Thatcher stayed. As if that was going to impress me. The only thing that came to mind was, didn't that hotel she stayed in Brighton get bombed? Yeah. 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 Maybe it was a threat. (laughs) What he said, and to be fair, meeting Harry and Brian Tyler, it was like meeting two of the lads. It wasn't like the manager and the general manager or the managing director, whatever Brian was. Um, It was just like meeting two of them. They were two, they still hadn't got, football out of their system 
or football as we see it, with the dressing room banter and all that, you know? It was um it, it, it was strange to me because I'd had I'd had obviously like old school sergeants like Bob Stoko and and Harry Gregg as my manager uh, at Carlisle. And then Clive was a little bit old school as well, but but lovely with it. And I've got these two white boys, you know. And it was a little bit, oh, I, I saw them. I like these, you know. But is it real? Is that are they really manager and and managing director? Um, Harry said to me at the time, "Look, this is what we've got to offer you. Uh, I know what you're earning, and and it was a big jump to be fair." to 375 pound a week. It was a big jump for me from Carlisle. But he said, look, because of the tribunal system, Harry being Harry, you can't go and speak to your manager. I went, why is that? He went, well, because I think then he'll offer you some money, more money, because he knows we want you, and then your price will bump up and it might scupper the deal about you coming here. <laughs> he was he was like, oh, please. <laughs> Is Harry, anyway, which is why we love him. But I couldn't do that. There he is, look. <laughs> That's the face I remember, yeah? That one. The smiling one. I've seen it. I've seen it angry where the smile turns as well. You eventually signed for, what, £35,000, which was a lot of money in those days. That's what we said, yeah. And look, I, th- I think Everton had a... I felt for Carlisle, to be fair, because I think at the time they wanted 200 grand, or that's what we said. They've obviously overvalued me at the tribunal. Harry has undervalued me at the tribunal. The tri- I think Harry offered 10 grand, and Carlisle wanted 200. But the tribunal was <laughs> to account, probably that the fact that we've been two years in rele- two years relegation, and I'd only played, like, I don't know, maybe a handful of games that season, but I was injured. So maybe that was what was taken into account. Um, well, Harry's always going to get a deal no matter what. If it had been 34500 I wouldn't have, wouldn't have put it past him, you know? <laughs> so, and, then, and then you can actually move on to what I was sold for. I've had all sorts of different numbers. And who knows what went on with the money. It was... Um, but... Once I sat with him and and I was in the office, I think I remember um, Newsom Willow coming in, walking in to um, two great lads. And I'm looking at them going, oh, he looks a bit of a tit. <laughs> <laughs> Not Willow, Willow was too big. Um, but Willow was obviously a scouser as well, so I thought, ah, I like him. And the other, the other fellow looks a bit of a tit. <laughs> I hope he sees this because every time I go, I, I, I've seen this uh, when I go to London anyway. But I thought, what a, I don't know if I'm going to like him, you know. Will old Gray, him, nah, he looks a bit full of himself, you know. Yeah. El, Elvis hairstyle. They just got back from America, I think, from holiday. And they came straight to the ground, which epitomised what the club was about. They haven't come home and gone home. They've come home and come to the club, you know, which tells you a lot. Mm. And I thought, I don't like it here. I think I'm going to like it here. Plus, there was a beach and there was topless girls and stuff. 
And we sit up in the quarter deck. It all helps. It all helps. <laughs> I didn't play him. No. <laughs> remember, Carlisle phoning me after I've signed. They're going, pre-season training, what are you doing? I went, oh, I'm sitting on the beach. Could be shared off looking at topless women drinking a pint. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm going to paint the garage, but it's pissing down again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've made the right move. It's a tough life. Did you, um, it, it seemed from the terraces, like you, the step up seemed very, very easy for you because, I mean, right from the off, the pre-season friendlies, the first games, uh, you settled in really, really well. What, what did you make of the squad and how easy was it to get playing? It was, well, it was as it looked, to be honest with you. I mean, I've always believed in my own ability anyway, you know, and, and even even the struggles in third and fourth division, losing games and getting relegated with Carlisle, I still felt I tried to play football. I, I, I never got away from. Maybe that's why we got relegated. To be fair, maybe <laughs> we were trying to play football when we should have just been fighting. But I couldn't do it any other way. I, I, I have been how who I am and how I am. And if I fit for you, then that's fine. Maybe I didn't fit for Carlisle in the third and fourth division, which is not me being arrogant. It's. Because, because, like I said, I, I come to the realization I was a fourth division footballer. Me coming in and now training with the squad, I, I, I won't do an injustice to the squad at Carlisle because we have still had some good players. But when you're on that flipping slope, it's hard, it's hard for you to to get through the negativity and the, you know, you see the crowds dwindling and uh, and you can't buy a win. You know, I played with really good good players at Carlisle. And I would never put them down, but I. I came, and it was as much Harry. I think there was a he'd, he'd he'd put a belief in in players that maybe weren't outstanding players, but when your manager gives you that confidence, we knocked the ball about for fun, you know. It was, and I do remember the preseason games, and I think that it was easy when I've moved before. I've moved sort of mid-season, so you're coming into league games and there's it's a little bit, it takes you five or six games for anybody to settle into a new team, a new system. But maybe because of the precinct, there wasn't even that many, to be fair. I know Willow and Mozzie sort of shied away from the facts of the story in Portugal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, do you imagine Willow on your podcast, Topless? In Lisbon, he was bottomless. <laughs> Yeah. That's a scary thought. <laughs> it was only a week after me signing and, and meeting with the boys and that. We had a pre-season trip, so I think it might have been less than a week. Maybe I'm doing myself an injustice. Um, we were out in Lisbon and we were obviously in the city centre and we were flattered. And Harry had sort of not really given us a curfew, but sort of hinted at one, which isn't a good thing. Even if you give us one, we're not going to listen to you anyway. So Willow had this Aaron jumper, right? And I don't know whether he'd made it himself or his mum had made it. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have a lot of time on his hands. So <laughs> it was too short for him. And he's come out in his jeans and this Aaron jumper and we just couldn't have ribbon him all, all day, whatever. And then after a few scoops, me, News, uh, Closey, Louie and um, Kuki. Little Kuki, don't get me wrong, Kuki wasn't instrumental because he was like one of them little 
He'd eyes on the back until it was all done. Mate, look at him. Look at them. Look at them. I hadn't seen them two for 30 years. 30 years. It's a, it's it's a, <laughs> I don't even know what they're doing. What are they doing? <laughs> At least this jumper fits. They said I they said I was the weird looking one. <laughs> but what Louie and Kuki, Closey, uh Sean Close and Kuki, they would let me and Newsom Willow get in all the shit. They'd always be there, but never get in trouble. They were that type, you know? Yeah. So anyway, so we're in Lisbon and we decided Willow's drunk enough that we can take him, four of us. <laughs> so we pin him down and we take his trainers and we throw them over the houses or whatever. We take his jeans off. We're actually we're, we're sleeping on his jeans. So we've got a leggage and me and just standing on the jeans and they're pulling us along the street and we're sleeping on his jeans. So we took his undies off and fed him. He weren't big anyway. Willow's undies were never big. He was original. Long, I'm not even, even going to go any further. That. That's quite quite far enough. That's quite far enough. Have a picture of yourself. Oh boy, yeah. Uh, back to the football. What did what did Harry want from you in the midfield? What did he want you to bring? Just strip Willow in Lisbon and make him make his own way home. <laughs> <laughs> the hotel, literally about half a mile. And we watched them scrolling against the walls because he had no pants, no undies on. He pulled his Aaron jumper down and it's just long enough. Well, it probably covered him, but it wasn't long enough for a regular man. <laughs> oh, God. He's still along to the hotel. We're in the town centre. It's not like you're at a beach resort you can go along the rock. Oh, <laughs> you can the next day from the way home. So he's, he's gone to the hotel, right? So we're just laughing, walking on. We're walking back. We get literally a block away from the hotel. And we had a massive bang. It's like a bomb's gone off, you know? So we're like, shit, what, what's that? And as we come around the corner of the hotel, it's raining clothes. We're on the fifth floor. Willow's gone, hooked in the hotel. And this is what it must have, this is what the visual I have. He's gone up to the reception. Bear in mind, he's at the desk, so he looks like he's just in a jumper. And he's going, can I have that key, that key, and that key? And then <laughs> he's given the keys, he's had to walk away. They must have seen his bare ass. <laughs> you know? I always see him. But, but we were outside walking around the corner. This bang has gone off. We put around the corner. It's raining clothes. There's a suitcase on top of this car with a big dent in the top. He's gone up, got our keys. He started on uh, close here in his room, thank God. And as he's going in, he's threw the suitcases out. Kuki's passport is floating down. As <laughs> <laughs> we have gone back in for another round, the light's gone on below him. We're looking up. Harry's popped his head out. <laughs> He's obviously heard the noise and been woken up. He's looked down, seen us four. He obviously doesn't know Willow. Willow's above him. So he's seen us four and he's gone, you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you 
fucking move. You know <laughs> then he's gone back in. As soon as he's gone back in, we've legged it in. So he must be coming down the stairs for going up in the lift. So anyway, we've got in the room and looked out the window and he's downstairs picking all the clothes up and stuff with, with Kuki and, and Clotie because it's all their gear. Willow didn't make it to mine in Noosa's room. I'm not, I'm not sure they do pre-seasons like this anymore. <laughs> it would make things better. He's come up in the room. I want to see his first thing in the morning. Okay. I've only been at the club for like six days or whatever. <laughs> so he's got us in one by one. And I've gone in. He's gone, he's gone, you? He said, I don't fucking believe you. You know, you've only been here six days. <laughs> I went, hey, I'm just trying to fit in. <laughs> I said, I don't even know why I did it. I don't even drink. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever happened after was because of that we can see now why willow never wanted to tell that story we had a, we had a we had a question in from uh chris hubble actually he said is it true did you lodge uh did you lodge with willow did you live with him for a bit we, that... we wasn't a couple i want you to know that <laughs> okay uh, and look i'd have ended up being a woman wouldn't i you would have had no choice. That would have been good. I couldn't have wrestled him down. And what it was, he said, he said to H, he said, you know what, while Bish is looking for a place to stay, you can come and stay with me. Which was right near the Seagull pub, wasn't it? So I often thought he should have us like a zip line from his apartment, just crossing the road and going straight into the pub. <laughs> he was living with his, I think it was his fiance at the time. So it was him and his fiance, and I was in the spare room. But Willow's mum and dad, this lovely, lovely mum and dad. I don't know if you ever had the chance to meet them, but lovely, lovely old couple. Proper old scout couple. And they would come and visit quite a lot. And they come and stay. So they told Willow they were coming to stay. And uh, Willow went, well, what am I going to do with fish then? And he ended up kicking his missus out. And I... <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't happy. You know, nobody cooked you in the middle of the night. You know, that was a that was a tough division as well. That second division that season because you had Chelsea in it, Manchester City were in it, Leeds were in it, Stoke, West Brom, Sunderland. There were lots of really big clubs in that division. It didn't feel tough. Did it not? I, I wondered what it was like. It didn't feel tough. There was no fear. It was. We went out and played football, and, and you know, Man City were in it as well, wasn't he? Shepherd Wednesday, you know, Leeds, I don't know if you mentioned Leeds, but, you know, there was, there was some big teams and some big teams that we beat. Um, we didn't fear nobody. It, was, it wasn't a case of we're a small club, they're a big club. You know, it was obviously tough when you went away, but, but at the core, it was, you know, as, as results sort of showed, you know. I only ever remember really Man City doing a, a job on us, and I think we only lost that 1 0. Because I remember Neil McNabb, obviously, it, it resonated with me afterwards when I went and signed here that, that Man City were a, a big club and they were going on to, to good things. Um, I don't remember ever fearing anybody. No, not at all. Well, your debut was away at Sunderland, Voca Park. 
back yeah. in the day, which was a 1-1 draw. Do you remember much about that? Uh, not really. It was, look, look to go anywhere. When you travel from Bournemouth, hmm. seven, eight hours on a, on a bus, and I think you sort of lose sight of, you know, how tough it's going to be or, you know, Sunderland obviously with a big reputation. As you say, the, the pre-season games, did we beat QPR pre-season? We may have been in the top flight at the time. I think we did. I think yeah. we had a good pre-season. Yeah, we had a good pre-season. We beat some big teams, so so there wasn't a fear. There wasn't, it was, uh, I mean, I'm good at pointing, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Keep it away from me. <laughs> and I think Granite Jacker is possibly the worst player I've ever seen in my life. Passes it backwards and points for the other person to do it forward. I wasn't doing that then. <laughs> I wasn't doing it. it was, look, it was it was all too fast. All happened too quick. Didn't last long enough for me. I, I did enjoy it, but I was enjoying myself while I enjoyed it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it, it flew by. And, you know, you leave clubs at for certain reasons or certain circumstances, and and it upset me. I know I was supposedly going on to bigger and better things, but it upset me. I didn't I didn't feel like I felt like I just got to know everybody. I thought we could have done bigger things and better things, but in a football sense, I couldn't say no. Hmm. I had to move on, you know, and. It was a very special season that season. I think it's difficult for younger fans because of the seven seasons we've just had. But, I mean, that that season was the best season Bournemouth have had until uh, seven years ago. And, obviously, you were at the centre of an awful lot of the things that happened in it because you, you made the whole team tick. One of the things, you, you, you your first goal was against Ipswich. Do you remember that well? Because you weren't, although your performances were fantastic, you weren't a huge goal scorer, were you? No, Um I always felt like, look, I've been the type of midfield player that uh, I, I was a thinker. Look, so if you're playing a midfield with somebody who likes to get forward, then you've got to assess what's happening when you're when you're attacking and and feel we can't both go. So I've always felt like I've been the one to look around me and and be the holder, if you know what I mean. So. Um, Going back and being the type of player I was, I like to start things off. I like to be on the ball for as much as I could. So whether it was getting it from the back lads and starting things off, it was, it was very difficult as well. I mean, look, in, in today's game, I could probably get things at the back and, and still have time to get forward because of the amount of passes that is played today. But back then, it was a little bit, not direct as long ball, but it was a bit more direct in the fact that I wanted to hear people. I wanted to play forward passes. I wanted to, I wanted to play through balls. Uh, and if it wasn't a through ball, it was clipping something up to big Trevor Aylard, who you knew was going to cushion it. And now we were attacking from 40 yards further forward. So yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't literally go and get it off the back, lads, clip mm. a ball into big Trevor and be there to be amongst the goals, you know? Uh, and, look, in, you know, it, it's a negativity about my game. I always wanted to feed somebody else instead of hitting shots myself or, mm. or or getting into the box myself, you know? I always wanted to be the one to start it again and 
you know, if it got cleared out, I'd be there and then I'd play it wide again and mm. you know, or Desi or whoever it was at the time. Um, Luther was Luther was recently. Luther was look when you when you're in a team like that, I, I think we had we had a great balance more than anything because Mozzie and Newt, as you know, still like to, to get forward. We're still too good passive at the ball. Willow, Kevin Bond or Witty or whoever it was at the time. You know, Teeley came in a little bit late. Um and I know Willow said it because that would have not fired. He, he he said I used to get him out the ship. But look, as a midfield player who wants to play, you need your defenders to want to get the ball off the keeper. Mm. So Jerry at the time, Jerry Payton, who who liked to kick the ball, it's now making sure that he gave it to the fullbacks or gave it to Willow and, and Kev so I could get it. You know, so it's not only it's me getting at them to get it off him. And and when they did, that's that's all I ever wanted from them. You know, I know Will, Willow underestimates himself, doesn't he? He he, he believes he was just a big lump who who won headers and flicked on corners and and, and then he says to me and he told me to me face, I'd fire the ball at your nuts and you'd bring it down and make me look decent. It wasn't the case. It wasn't the case. He if he doesn't get it in the first place, I don't get it. I don't care where he fires it at. If he doesn't get it, if he hasn't got the will to go and get it, then I don't get it. So he's doing himself a, a massive injustice. You struck up a really good partnership with Luther Blissett that season. I think he scored uh, 19 goals from just 30 games in that season. What what was it about his game that suited you, do you think? Well, look, he, he gave us the option of getting him behind as well, you know. Um we had Big Trev, and to be honest with you, Big Trev was—I don't want—I don't want it to sound wrong, but it was the last resort. If we couldn't find that eye of the needle ball, we knew we could clip one up, and he would win the battle against anybody. So it was a case of let's look for in behind for little Kooky or Desi or you know whoever was wide, and and if it wasn't on, you knew you could play that blind pass. Up for Trev, and if you give enough time on the ball, if you give enough air on it, he would have time to get there and, and win it for you. But Luther was that. Look, he came with a reputation, didn't we? Didn't he? he? England international, Lacey Milan. You know, his time at Watford, he was superb, and and he had that pace, and he was infectious as well. It wasn't just, you know, I, I mean, I've stressed and I've said it, I say it on my podcast. I didn't have that many friends that didn't drink because you tended not to be in their company very often away from football. But Luther was just one of them people. He reminded me of Sean Goulton at Man City. He wanted to be with you and he did nothing but laugh at the antics we got up to. And he was sort of like our conscious, our conscience the next day. <laughs> things we couldn't, so... You know, the bail money mainly. <laughs> we've had a we've had a question for Phil McGuinness as well because another player that was key that season was Sean Brooks. Um, and he asks, do you think that Sean Brooks could have maybe played at a higher level than he played at? And then I've got a supplementary question to that because I thought that our greatest run that season coincided with you playing with Sean O'Driscoll because I think you and Sean Brooks were very similar players. So two questions in one there. All right, Briggs, it was quality, yeah. I always, felt, I always felt a little bit guilty because I think we got compared 
and and I won that battle that season. As if it was going to be one of us getting chosen to play, as by the fifty odd games in one season, it was going to it, it, Harry chose me, and I always admired Brooksy and and the way he played. I felt he was very similar to me, and I felt he got the unlucky piece of it mm. um, because people believe that you can't play two playmakers, and I I well tell Barcelona that you know eleven mm. playmakers. So for me, it was all about football and and I had a similar thing at West Ham with John Moncare where they believed we, we both similar couldn't play in the same team but I'm a big believer that why do you need a ball winner if you don't give the ball away in the first place mm-hmm. so how are you approaching the game are you going in with a little bit negative whereas let's win possession and then give it to your playmaker or let's start with possession roll it out the back and let your playmakers do it I'm of that, the second version, you know. And, and look, at the end of the day, it's not like I wasn't the strongest, but it wasn't like I couldn't tackle. It wasn't like Brooksy couldn't tackle, you know. I think maybe a couple of games, and I can't remember every single game, I think maybe a couple of games didn't go our way when me and Brooksy played together. That could have been the same as when me and Sean, or if Tony Pulis came in, it could have been the same. It was just how it felt at the time. And obviously, as a manager, you've got to make decisions. So, unfortunately, the decisions, or fortunately for me, the decisions Harry made was to leave Brooksy out and play me. And, and I just felt he was so unlucky. And he could have gone on. He had every attribute. And he was a lot healthier and, and more professional. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We had a great cup run in that season, I think. Everybody remembers the the close games we had against Manchester United in round five. Um, do you want to talk us through those two games? No, I'd rather talk about Hartlepool and the replay. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about that. He scored an own goal at Dean Court that day for Hartlepool, Paul Baker. He was on the header over the keeper, if you remember the game. I don't know if you do. It's a long right. time ago. 5-2, five, five wasn't it, that game? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember it. I remember it. Um, yeah, the, the, I think that might have been a one because I think the, the Man United game, that might have been start, the start of the hype for me as mm. far as the press. And, you know, I remember seeing in the, in, in the Echo and the newspapers, um, am I the pretender to his throne? Brian Robson, who's an amazing footballer and top fella, by the way. Um, England captain, I've... I've, I did a bit on TalkSport. I've had him in me all-time 11. Um, and, and, and he wrote a nice piece in the replay in the, in the Man United programme about me, you know? Or oh, is it the start? Don't I have a shot right at the beginning? I think you beat a couple of players, actually, Bish. I, I, I deceived them. Oh, look, they, at, that. Uh, look, at, look at that. Look at that. Man who? And then, <laughs> and then this. <laughs> That's it. Take no prisoners, straight in. No, see, I couldn't tackle though, could I? <laughs> uh, uh, I'll tell you what, I don't yeah. remember Trevor Aylock being that quick. Bloody hell. <laughs> and we actually went 1 0 down, didn't we? So we, we showed a lot of character. And we should have won it. Steve, Bruce, Steve Bruce standing on Luther's boot. Yeah. Maybe the, the foot that he stuck out. 
and knocked his boots off, didn't he? Bar- you, yeah. You put the through ball through to the winger who crossed it, didn't he? Just in just for Luther Blissett to just be yeah, tripped yeah. right at the last minute. Uh, if you understood that, I'd have reminded you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was worried for a minute. We were going to watch all ninety minutes when we started. Off. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have done what Harry did. I've gone and had me dinner and come back. <laughs> there was uh, the replay, though. I think there was somebody on the chat earlier said that all, all they could hear were the Bournemouth fans singing that you were better than Brian Robson, which <laughs> I don't know if you remember hearing that during the game. Well, I've been over the two games, but not over Korea. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, it's still today. Somebody's mentioned it, you know, and and that's, to be fair, that's, that's what Harry had put out there afterwards in the papers, you know. I, I felt I gave a good account of myself against who was the England captain and, and one of the best mid, midfield players to ever grace English football. Mm. Uh, and, and for me, it's you want days like that. You want games like that. You, you need to play against players like that to test yourself. You know, you don't go out saying it's a direct competition between me and him because completely different players. But it's nice to go and test yourself. and And... Even even then, when we drew them, it, there was no fear. There was no fear. Look, you can see the pitch wasn't the best. We still passed the ball. You know, they were a strong team at the time. Mm. We, didn't, we didn't look like we were in a, a different division to them. Even Not at, at all. Even the replay, what, 60,000 at Old Trafford, which we obviously weren't used to. You know, Harry had flew us there, which we wasn't used to. Um, and in defeat, I think we... We proved ourselves to to be the good crowd that we was, you know, unfashionable, unfashionable players. But as a group, what a good football team! We what were. I mean, so. that, that, that was. I mean, not long after that. I mean, that was the middle of that really, really good run. And then not long after that, we went to Crystal Palace. We won three two. I think we went up to about fifth in the league. And I remember. It's only twice in my life where I've driven home thinking that the side might get to the top flight um, about seven years ago. And then that day, did did you as a side think you could get there or did you really think it was beyond you? Never, never thought about it. Never never used to look at it, never thought about it. I do, I do feel, I know there was somebody on Twitter who wanted to ask a question. I don't know if it's going to come up or whether I'm jumping the gun by answering it. Disappointed at the end of the season. We were better than 12. Hmm. Um, it was disappointment. It was, I don't know exactly when we sort of lost it because we should not, because we'd already proven ourselves and maybe we did shoot ourselves in the foot in a couple of games towards the end. But um, like I say, look, if, if, if things would have worked out, we'd have gone up, maybe I wouldn't have left, you know, maybe things a bit different, but we had another question, which was, um, did you realise the impact that you had on the supporters with the way that you were playing? Because it was quite unlike anything that we'd seen. See, I, I, you, you don't notice that, to be honest, when you're playing. You do, when, when you're getting support, you're getting it as a team. You know, and, and I mean, OK, I was, I was putting in some good performances, but I thought that was normal. That's what you told to do. Hmm. That's just, you turn up, you put your shirt on, you play for your colours and your badge, you play for your fans. And if it goes well, great. It doesn't doesn't go well. Still went to Little Pete's and talked about <laughs> it. And talked about it. it. It was important for that group to be as good of friends and 
and to love each other as people, you know, I don't get weird on you. Mm. And then have a connection with the fans. I suppose now when I look back, I can see it. But at the time, you don't realise it. You know, I didn't realise I was going to leave. So you don't know. I mean, up until, look, the last game at Main Road, second to last game of the season, I didn't know I was going. I'd heard speculation. I'd heard talk about Arsenal, Liverpool, whatever. I heard nothing about Man City. And then we go to Main Road and people ask, is that the game that made them buy you? I'd like to think they don't buy you on one game. But if I go back and think, see, people say I was instrumental in, and the Man City players say I was instrumental in this game, but I don't really believe I was involved in any of the goals. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you were. Trevor Morley during the game, because, I mean, there's another story to this, because if they'd have won that day, they were going to Australia for three weeks on a jolly up. And they wouldn't have they would have played the reserves at Bradford in the last game of the season. And um obviously when I got there, we spoiled spoiled the trip. And so I wasn't popular in the dressing room to start with. But um it is a game that Man City players uh, fans fans talk about all the time. Mm. Um it, it's not like it's you know when people relate, let's say the Manchester Derby we won five one. Every year on that day, the Wembley playoff with Man City. Every year on that day, every year on that day, Man City fans talk about it. Mm. I, I, I watched. I remember I watched that game on Teletext. You remember when you in the old days you used to watch games on Teletext. I watched it on Teletext with a Man City fan, so yeah. it was great because we had a, one half of him absolutely demolishing him, me, and one half of me <laughs> demolishing him. The um, the question the question I was thinking obviously you didn't. Put many foot wrong uh, that season. Did uh, did you ever get a bollocking off Harry? Did, was there anything that used to irritate him, uh, you about him? Because we can't we can't think of anything, but I bet there must have been one. Well, I'll tell you one day when me and the two well on this, we decided that things were going okay. You know, obviously we we formed a friendship. I was living with Willow, so. Getting in between him and Noose a little bit, you know. And uh, we decided that, because we weren't allowed out on a Thursday, right? So Wednesday was your cook-off. So we made sure we went out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday was going to be the cut-off. And then we've, we've sort of tried to tweak the rules a little bit. And we've gone, well, the rules say you're not allowed to drink 48 hours before a game. So if we have a drink on Thursday from 12 till 3, <laughs> uh, we're not breaking the rules, are we? <laughs> so, I'd, um, I'd blown me time and on fee on a Ford Sierra <laughs> 6L <laughs> boy racer <laughs> and um, on the uh, advice of Noose and Willow work at a park okay, park in town, in the town centre or you can park behind a shop. It's on the curb. It's yellow lines, but they're on the road. There's no yellow lines on the curb. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. Why wouldn't I? So this is a Thursday. So we've gone, okay, we'll meet at 12. There's an Italian restaurant right in the town centre that we used to go to now and again and, and sit at the window and order bottles of red wine. 
and people watch. So we'd pick out the worst hairdo, the worst jumper. We just end up sitting there lapping our head off all day, and one bottle of wine and turn into ten bottles of wine. And and I think it was just behind them shops that he said, "Park your car." So I parked my car. We end up going, okay, it's three o'clock, and we're really sticklers for this now. Yeah, but I'm sure if on the way home we can have one more. Nobody's going to know. At least we've left town before three. And it ends up about six, whatever it was. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting treatment at the ground the next day, and they're going to Hain, you know, where the training ground was, up by the airport. So, like, I'm in the um, treatment room with the physio, and I'd left my car in town because I didn't want to drink and drive again. Um, so I'd left my car. Anyway, they've dropped me at the, the ground and they've gone to training. Anyway, the physio's in, in the treatment room with me and I'd see a strange look on his face and he's looking away from me and I think, what's, what's going on? I'm on the bed like with ice on my ankle. And then I see him walk out the door and the door shuts. And I think, why has he gone out? Next thing, Harry comes in. He must have had his slippers on because... I couldn't hear him walking. He walked in. <laughs> I'm on this look on his face. He went, all right, bitch. I went, yeah, H, I'm going to be good for the, the thing was brightening away. I'm going to be good. It's, I just need a little bit of treatment, but I'm fine. Don't worry. I'm not going to miss the game. He went, pissed yesterday? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? He went, pissed yesterday. I said, no. He went, that's funny. The police have just phoned. And found your car. <laughs> your boots open, your golf clubs are in there. Apparently, you've left there, unlocked, and so you must take it you were drunk. I went, No, I wasn't drunk. <laughs> so, listen, I'll be honest with you. I went out and had a couple of pints of Guinness. Uh, I have two pints of Guinness every day. Uh, you know, I was told since I was younger it was good for you. So, whether I'm playing or not, I have two pints of Guinness every day. And where was I? Luckily enough, I named two pubs, right? I named two pubs. We were in about seven or eight. But I named two pubs. I didn't know that he was going to go and quiz Willow and Noose. So, you know, he goes, you got to go and get your car. I went, oh, all right, I just wait. You know, I've got five minutes of the ice now. I'm going to get my car. And I'm thinking, shit, how do I get to Willow and Noose? It wasn't mobile phones back then or anything. So, his son, Mark, was talking about the ground. I said, Mark, will you take me to get my car? He went, yeah, yeah. I said, where's your dad? He went, he's in the office. I went, better go now then. He was obviously on our side. I said, we're in the car. He's gone, what's happened? I said, oh, we got yesterday. I'm a few beers. I left my car in town. Your dad's collared us. And I'm, I've lied to him, as usual. So I went, can you take me to get my car? So I'll get my car. I'll drive back to the ground. And if Harry's car is still there, I'll go straight to the training ground. I'll fill Newsom Willow in on the story where we were, you know? Not that he knew I was with Newsom Willow, but it was obvious. And they thought I snitched on him, but it, it, I didn't. It was just obvious. So I get to the ground, this car's gone. I'm like, oh, shit, what do I do? To try and race him or I don't know. Just, <laughs> so I was sitting waiting for Willow to come home like, like a naughty child waiting for my dad, you know. <laughs> he walks in and Noose follows him. And Noose's face was beat me. And he'd gone, you arsehole. <laughs> he did a snitching on us. 
Tell <laughs> you. I said, what happened? He went, luckily enough, Harry pulled us aside and went, don't want, don't lie to me. You don't have to. I know exactly where you were. You were in this pub and this pub. I was like, oh, God, for that. <laughs> we thought he got away with it. But he was going to leave us, the three of us, out for the game. And I can't remember who was coming in. But one of them was injured. So we couldn't leave two of us out, not the other one. And he ended up playing us all at Brighton away. And thank God for Sean Brooks. He scored a worldy top corner for us to win 2-1. And then it was forgotten. <laughs> Until the next time. So the move to Man City, you said it came as a bit of a surprise. How, how did it all come about and, and come about so quickly after that 3-3 draw? Well, well, the whisper that I heard was um, Arsenal offered 500, Liverpool offered 500 and City offered 750. I obviously found this out later. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But I did speak to Kenny Daglish years and years later. And I did bump into George Graham in a restaurant in London. He sent me a nice bottle of champagne over, to be honest with you. What a fella. And and they said there was interest, both of them, but he wasn't prepared to pay the 750. So, I mean, I, I see it even now. The, the fee changes and I see 475 and, and all this, but initially the talk was 750 and, I don't know, agents and what have you where the money went. It was a little bit rife back then. So but that was none of our business. It was just a case of my agent, who was Ari's agent at the time, um, said, look, this is where you should be going. And and I, I sat outside the court and I cried. I cried in the car, I must admit, as a 24, 25-year-old man. I cried in the car. We were crying too. So you weren't alone. <laughs> we were. I was in floods of tears. I was only younger, but I was in floods of tears. The um, so obviously you went to play for Mel Machen, who's a man we know well at Bournemouth because obviously he came here. Yeah. That must have been a bit of a culture shock because he was he was quite a different manager to Harry or renowned for being. And is it true you asked him to get your hair cut as well? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I, I think it was like sort of old school stuff where we're in the top flight. You know, you know, make yourself presentable. I didn't believe in it. I didn't agree with it. You know, I'd argued as a kid with Howard Kendall, who cut me hair himself. With <laughs> to be fair, but but I mean, even back then when I was an apprentice, a young pro, whatever it was, he said I had long hair then. He said, "Get your hair cut." So I got it shaved at the sides and the back, and dyed blonde on the top. <laughs> <laughs> like Limal, like Limal from Kajagoogoo. <laughs> It was a little bit like that. Howard Jones as well. And so, you know, it's, it just takes me back. Being six years old, going against my family, it's still in you, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, this is what you said. I'm going to twist it. And and I love Mel, by the way. I love Mel. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that different because Harry gave me freedom to play. Harry, Harry let me express myself and gave me no specific orders on the field. You know, I don't know if he knew I was as good as what I became, whether he's seen it. I still don't know how he found me. So he must have seen something at some point and then brought it out. 
because I mean I've said it before, he resurrected me. You know, it was. Um, I mean, later on in life, we had our fallouts, but I still, I still love him to death for what he did and and the time I had, and for giving me the chance to be and and have that experience of, of just one short season at the club. You know, it was um, it was not but fun and, and and joy every day. You know, training was great to go to. It's when when you feel like that, it's not a job. You know, it's. Hmm. Pressures, the pressures of football I don't believe we had them that season I've been through relegations as I said with Carlisle I went through them with West Ham um, but to have that group of people not just football as people because it wasn't just the players it was the, the staff and the people who worked at the club I don't, I don't believe football's like that anymore um, it was a community it was you you wasn't going to work it was you were going and seeing your friends and your family it was and you put the work in you know you, you can you can only assess how much fun you can have away from the field if things are happening right on the field mm-hmm. you know relegation time he wasn't out partying all the time it was it, it got serious for you but mel was look for the fact that somebody wants you is a good start and a good sign mel became human to me because your managers weren't always human to you. They were, they were your boss, you know? Somebody you had to stand up and salute or, you know, or fear like it was with Howard Kendall. If I'd seen Howard walking down the corridor, I would dive in the laundry room and hide in the frigging tumble dryer or something, you know, with the fear. Well, what have I done? Has done wrong? Is he going to take the piss out of me? And I, I can't answer, you know? Harry wasn't like that. Harry was like one of the lads. And Mel, to be fair, I was sort of living in Liverpool, but... I was staying in a hotel in, in Manchester, what Mel had put me in. And he said, look, I want you to be there at least three days a week, obviously before the game and all that. And he was best friends with the owner. And then when I was there in my room, Mel would come and visit the owner and have a beer. And he'd say, go and get fish out of his room. So, so I'm now having a drink with my manager. And it's okay for him, mm-hmm. for me to do that with him. You know what I mean? So he showed me his human side. And don't get me wrong. I respected him in the dressing room as well. It was, I'm talking football with him away from football. So I know this man's got a vast knowledge of the game. And for him signing me and, and him talking to me about what he wants me to do and how he wants me to play and you know who he thinks I'm going to be with in the midfield. And, you know, they had, a, they had a great young squad at the time. You know, five England under 21 internationals. Paul Lake, Stevie Redmond, Ian Brightwell, David White, Andy Inchcliffe. I was I was sort of three years older than them. Mm-hmm. And we'd had that game where they sort of already respected what I do on a football field. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't difficult going into that dressing room, except for the killing the Australia trip. <laughs> let me know about. And you got off to a pretty decent start when you beat Man United 5-1. I mean, that must have been something. And you scored. Um, but then it, it kind of went a bit pear-shaped for Mel. You must have been devastated when Howard Kendall gets the job. Uh, you know what? I wasn't devastated. I had a funny feeling. I told Paul Lake, I said, it's been nice knowing you. And he said, look, what you've done here already, these fans and this club are not going to let you go anywhere. I sort of got an inclination that things were going to be different. And look, don't get me wrong. I love Howard as well. I, I don't love everybody, but I respect men who command respect from their players. And I know from being at Everton, 
I know them players loved playing for Howard Kendall. So, so for me, I wish I could have been one of them players, but I wasn't. I wish I could have been one of them players in Man City, but I wasn't in his plans. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's a little bit sad, to be fair, because the last time I seen Howard before he passed away, it was actually at Andy King's funeral. And that was the first time me, Howard and Mark Ward had been in the same room since the transfer in 89. And Howard actually came out and said to me, I didn't want you to go. He said, I wanted Wardy, I needed Wardy, and I had no money. Peter Swells, the chairman at the time, said, I've got no money. And I got the other side of the story from Lou McCarty, who signed me at West Ham. He said he didn't want Wardy to go. He said, so to scupper the deal, when Howard said, who do you want? He said, if he said me, Howard would call the deal off. But he didn't. <laughs> so, you know, I ended up where I ended up, which was nine unbelievable years at West Ham. It was, you know, things happen in your life. What ifs? I'm not a what if person, but you, you just go with it. I'm a believer in something comes up, go and see what it's like. It doesn't work. You move on and do something else. But it wasn't my choice. But once you find out the manager's prepared to let you go, it's hard to stay. Yeah. Plus the, 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 the carrot dangled of a playing for a club like West Ham. It took me four years to get back to the top flight to San Man City. And then I was stepping down again. And then, not just that, I'd sort of been a part of Mel getting fired. And then I went to West Ham within three months, Lou got fired. <laughs> <laughs> Connection. <laughs> it's like having Miss Marple round for dinner, isn't it? Everyone, everyone, everyone starts disappearing when, when they come in. Uh, he, was, he was a fiery little Scot, wasn't he? Lou Macari as well. I remember, I remember him very, very well. The um, Obviously, one of the games you played early on at um, West Ham in that season, I think you beat Bournemouth 4-1. Um, do you remember, it was that difficult playing against us? And I think, I was trying to remember, did Jamie Redknapp make his debut yeah, that day? Or? Yeah. yeah, I just spoke yeah. to Jamie. Jamie's actually doing a book and uh, he phoned me up. And he said I was I was his hero when he was a kid, obviously being a Bournemouth. And, and uh, I did a little piece about what I remembered about the time. But, but I, I, I rem- because, look, he was such a great player, but such a great kid at the time. You know, he was, he was hanging around a training ground and I mm. loved his football and I loved being with the boys. And um, I do remember that game very well. Um, I'm a little bit embarrassed, actually, because when I scored, I'm sure... Mm. I haven't run mad, but I've given it the all to the West Ham fans, you know? And all that stuff about not celebrating against your old teams and what have you. I think it was more relief than anything else about scoring. But, well, the thing with Jamie was, and he will tell you himself, I actually talked him through the game. I was him the whole time, you know, trying to help him. And I was letting him know when I was going to make a run. I was letting him know when he should go and get the ball and I wouldn't go with him. I, I sort of coached him through the game a little bit, you know? And, and it all worked out, obviously. If we'd have lost, it wouldn't have been right for me to do. Mm. But, but it worked out. And look, and Jerry, Jerry Payton said I missed it, it anyway. <laughs> you going to show it? Tell me you've got the goal. I don't know if we have, actually. Is it on YouTube, that one? I think Sam only keeps our goals, doesn't he? I think he only does, yeah. No <laughs> chance. No chance. Oh, 
what was it like when when Harry came to the club as well? Because that that you know reuniting with another ex manager is a bit of a bit of a pattern developing. I'd like to say I had a part to play in it because I was still coming down to Bournemouth, going out with the lads. And when we did, we phoned Harry up, and if it's here, we'd go tell Bonzo I'm desperate to get to West Ham. Tell Bonzo I want to get to West Ham. <laughs> so on a Monday morning, like Bill did every Monday, he go, "Good weekend, was it?" And I'd go, yeah, it was, Bill. I mean, he's one of the managers. He didn't mind if you went out and had a beer, as long as you put the work in, you know? So he'd ask me, I'd go, oh, I was with your mate the weekend. I was with H. He's desperate to get here, Bill. Desperate. Because he would, he would pester me about getting there. And uh, and in the end, he came. And, and it was a breath of fresh air for me when he came. It was like, it was like, it, it would have been the same as if Willow would have turned up. That's what it felt like. I knew I was in good hands, and 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 I think it's it. It maybe he knew me too well, and it turned a little bit sour, sort of early doors. And he's still got this thing about. <laughs> I know he says in his book, he says he turned up at West Ham, and I was thirty-two pounds overweight. That's another human being. That's another human being. Thirty-two pounds. <laughs> Two pounds overweight. Willow wasn't even that now. <laughs> I, I didn't get it. So we had a little bit of a fall now. And he was actually, he killed me, actually. He killed me. He was making me stay behind, do extra training. They'd left me out of the first thing, squad. I had these fat pants I used to have to wear. Like, like with a lace at the bottom around your thigh. It was, like, it, was like, it was like a bin bag, but someone had made it. And Billy had given them. And at the end of every trainer, after undo the lace and all the sweat would run out, you know what I mean? He'd have me running, doing extra running, but running against Billy Bonds, who was, as manager, still the fittest player. <laughs> he was still the fittest man. And I was running around, puking up halfway around, and I was going, come off here. <laughs> you would be puking up halfway around. So we had this little rough spell. And then... We got back to, you know, it was back to normal, back in the team. And and the same freedom that he gave me. Like, it's it's nice to look back and, and see that, you know. That was probably about 96, maybe 95. I'm trying to gauge the year by the kits. Because mm-hmm. nine years is a long time. And a lot of kits. But he was the same. Go and do your stuff. We had a couple of fallouts. We had a couple of fallouts. Um, only football fallouts. Which you're going with your managers anyway. And uh, was he di- was he different as a manager? Because I always thought Harry Redknapp was at his most relaxed when he was with us because it was a small club. There was no expectation. He was not only king of the club; he was king of the town because he lived here. But was he was he more serious? Do you think different manager when he worked at bigger clubs? Football was changing. Don't forget. So um, you have to change with it. And as management, when you're with a Look, when we established the, the Premier League, when we established our side and the club to be a regular Premier League side, now things change, you know. Mm. Um, unfortunately, footballers who are setting their ways and the way they live, which we were, it's hard to take that out of you. But the manager has to be seen to, to be doing that. Now, I felt... Look, I, I, I think... I, I've never said this before, and... Over not talking out of school. I think 
think what happened to Brian Tyler had a massive effect on it. Mm-hmm. Massive effect on it. Yeah. Um, I think he looked at the world differently after that. Um, and and I don't blame him. I remember trying to get to see him. I remember after I'd left and, and he was in the hospital down there. Wasn't allowed visitors. And I remember going in to see him, you know. And to see him like that, it was devastating to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it just makes me wonder how he must have felt about what happened, you know. But, you know, that done and that aside, he... he Look at that. You're going to make me cry now. Jesus. Mm. Those are the two blokes I met in the hotel. <laughs> Jesus. Mate, that's unbelievable. They were, they were like, they weren't, they weren't your, your management. They were your, they were your friends, you know. Um, well, look, Harry, Harry changed with the game and, and obviously think, look, he, he became, look, his time at Tottenham and, and getting them into Europe and, I believe he should have got the England manager's job. And I would have, no matter what happened towards the end of my West Ham time with me and him uh, and fallouts that we had, I still love him. I still thank him. And I've seen him since. I had dinner with him in Manchester with a couple of friends, Paul Dickov and uh, Liv Anderson, I think it was. And and it's great. It was great seeing him, you know. Um, he, he played a big part in my life. And... and he changed with the game. I only wish he would have taken England to Brazil because of the group of players we had. Mm. Then I think we would have won the World Cup with him. Well, I, I do wonder, um, talking about international football, Bish, that you never played for the England first team. In, the, in that early 90s period, there was definitely a gap for a creative midfield player of your, your type, particularly when Gaza was injured. Um, and I, I also read somewhere that the whole sort of thing with Trevor Morley was a bit of a factor in that. Do you, do you want to just share that sort of story with us? Well, well, whether it was a factor or not, see, people are saying that I'm blaming that, or people can misconstrue that I blame that. Look, at the end of the day, I was in Gaza. You know, the, the midfield players then, I, I don't even think I was David Batty, who was very underrated was a better passer of the ball people gave him credit for. There were some good England players in the full squad. And my concern wasn't about the full squad. But people could say, you should have played for England, you should have played for the full squad. My concern was not being involved in the next England B squad, which I, sh- I think I should have. I've got no doubts that I should have. And I can only tell you that um, it wasn't me that was angry about it. It was Billy Bonds. I played at Walsall for the England B. We beat Switzerland 2-1. I did okay. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't outstanding. I did okay. Uh, enough to merit playing again, you know, in the B squad, to be honest. And uh, obviously the Trevor incident happened that same year. And I was dragged into something that had nothing to do with me. And suffered it for... Until today, stuff. But certainly for the next 10 years that I played, I got abused and um, I dealt with it as best I could. I still think my career was fairly okay, mm. even with all the shit that went on. But I know for a fact somebody in the England camp, and I really, I don't want to mention his name because I actually like him. I don't want to mention his name anyway because it's, it's, it's gone now and done. 
But Billy asked why I wasn't in the squad. And they, they named three reasons. Doesn't score enough goals, which, well, before the other game, I didn't neither. So why did you pick me? And we don't like his hair. Is that good enough reason? I played for England with a, with a ponytail. So what? I wasn't like everybody else. Didn't want to be like everyone else. And the third reason was what are these rumours about him and Trevor Morgan? And Bill was more angry than I was. I said, you know what, Bill? Fuck them now. Mm. I don't care. I'm happy playing for my club. You're my manager. You made me a captain. I'm happy here. I don't care about all that. If that's the way they think, that's, that's, you know, that's their issue. So that was what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't I felt it stopped me playing for the first team. I couldn't have got to the full squad without proving myself in the B squad. And I didn't get the opportunity to prove myself in the B squad because I only had one game. A game that we won and then I did okay. Mm. So, so that's how it was for me. And, and look, at the end of the day, when I, when I look back, my hero, Charlie George, that's not why I didn't do it, but he refused to play for England after playing for the England B because he felt he should have been in the full squad. And that's just coincidence, really. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't choose not to. It just happened that way for me because of that. And I'm thinking, if you're so narrow-minded, so be it. Mm. But it was, it, was, it was a tough time. It was, it was hard to stomach. And I watched other players get caps for the full squad, and I knew I was better than. And, and if things were different, look, I got, I got hard done by. But, but really hard done by when I had the life I had. I'm not going to cry about it, you know. I had a great time. Still am. Good. And I used to today about look something and, and, and a guilt thing for me. Look, I was I was coming back for one of, for the Palace game. I was actually down in Bournemouth, seen Willow and little Cookie, and had a great time. And I was looking forward to coming and seeing the fans and saying thank you. You know what I mean? And 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 it wasn't to be, but after all these years and one season to still be thought of. I don't have any trophies in the cabinet, you know, no winners medals, but to to be looked upon, especially with the majority of clubs that I played for, the four or five teams, whatever, and, and to be able to go back and be wanted to come back and and to be you know not say idolized but never have left anywhere on bad terms. And I think you can't happen no more, you know. I think the I think the biggest testament you can say to that is uh, there's been a lot during COVID of people doing their best ever Bournemouth teams etc on on social media and you feature in in all of those teams in the centre of midfield normally alongside Harry Arter and it's 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 fascinating to me because there can't be many players in any club around the world that only played one season that feature in so many uh, greatest ever teams it's really unusual I think to to be able to achieve that in in one season I think it's testament to you but testament to that. So how important that season was to us as well. So. Yeah, how can it be though? Because you know, with, with the, the club being where it is today, and and apart from this season, really, which hopefully will still go well, now not a new Premier League club, now an established Premier League club, mm. and the players that have been in there, the players that are in there, to be selected before that, it means there's a lot of old fans. <laughs> you know, far, yeah. too far too many. What was it like joining up with Joe Royal again at Manchester City? Did you did you feel you had unfinished business back in the northwest? 
Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. Look, for me, it was about football. It was about playing. And I was 32 years old. I'd had nine years there and they, they'd offered me, Harry had sort of reluctantly offered me another year, which I didn't think it was his business to offer me, to tell you the truth, because I think I'd earned it and deserved it. And I still thought I was good enough to be in that team. It wasn't like he was doing me a favour, but it, it sounded that way a little bit. And, and I knew why he was apprehensive, I'll tell you the truth. And he'll probably tell you that himself. You, you, you told me you had him on. Um, was it last week or the week before? Yeah, a few weeks ago, yeah. I don't know if you talked about me in any way or he talked about me or what was said, because I, I haven't listened. I didn't want to because I think I thought it would maybe bias what I said. But I know he rated me as a footballer. Mm. I know he liked me as a human being until he said I'm a bit of an arse when I'm drunk. <laughs> what is the point of getting drunk if you don't change? You know what I mean? What's the point of staying the same when you're drunk? <laughs> Which I think he would have approved of. I remember he told me, he said to me, why don't you just drink a glass of wine like the foreigners? And I said, well, I'm from a council estate, Harry. We didn't, didn't drink more on me. There wasn't so, a lot of wine. For me that year, I think it was more concerned that, because this was him changing. This was him changing as a manager, you know. The, the, the beginning of the foreigners come in more or less started with West Ham and Harry. Mm. I think, anyway, in the mid-90s. And he was sort of, the football was changing. He was changing as a manager, which you should. But I was, I I still loved him and loved playing for him. He had other things on his mind. He didn't like the way I was living my life, which was no different to how I'd always lived my life. But I didn't change with the game. I don't think football spoke for me. I didn't think, I wasn't, I wasn't in the newspapers. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, on the front pages every week. It's just that he knew on a Thursday when he knew Wednesday was the last day to go for a beer, he'd be waiting for me by the door. No, and I'd, I'd been out. It's Wednesday, I'm allowed. And he wouldn't have to speak to me because I'd just walk in, he'd look at me and I'd go, yes, I was. <laughs> I'd go in, get changed. <laughs> Play me if you want to play me. Don't play me if you don't want to play me. Mm. If you don't play me, you're cutting your nose off to spite your face. Because I've still got it, you know. And it comes to that point and that time, that, that year in 98, um, so my stand was changed and we'd established the club. They had the funds to go and buy, you know, the Canio or whoever, Trevor Sinclair, Stevie Lomas. So the club was growing and we'd done that. And I felt they sort of didn't give us enough credit for doing that. You know, Johnny Arts and Paul Kitson. The club changed, Al Berkovich. You know, but they forget the Stevie Foxes and the Georgie Barrises and the Stuart Slaters and, the, you know, the Martin Allens and, and Peter Butler, who got us to a steady club, you know, settled the club yeah. in the Premier League. And I didn't like that. I, I didn't like that. And I didn't like sitting on the bench. And 23 times that last season, I was on the bench and I got on the field three times. No good to me. Even though I've got a testimonial with supposedly a shitload of money coming, it wasn't about money. And then I get the phone call from Man City. I'd actually arranged with Harry to tell you the truth. He said to me why he didn't want that testimonial, why he was apprehensive. I always do this telling stories. I lose myself and go off on a different tangent. But 
he didn't want me having functions every once a month to raise money for me for my testimonial year. Cheers. He he said, don't have any dues, just have a game at the end. Now that's like saying, give me 250 grand tax free. I know he wouldn't give me that, would he? If I said to him, give me 250 grand tax free, he wouldn't have done that. So that's more or less what I was giving up. But I understood where he was coming from. He just thought the lads were going to be drunk all year. We <laughs> <laughs> were <it> anyway. <laughs> so I just said to him, I said, look, if you don't want all the hassle, rather than me take the year, if I can find a club, you give me a free transfer. It will help me to leave. I'll be out of your hair. You won't have to have the boys being drunk all year, which they probably still would without me. But that's not the point. And he said, yeah, okay, that's what you want. I think that was his way of, okay, this is the way of him getting what he wants with no functions and the boys all. Because the boys would have all supported me. I know that. I know I was okay in the dressing room. I know I was. I had no enemies in the dressing room. And I could mix with the lads who didn't drink, not very often, but I would chat to them. And I could mix with the lads who did, the lads in between. You know, it was versatile. I could play anywhere in the dressing room. <laughs> you drink anywhere in the dressing room. I suppose, I suppose that, that would have enabled you to get a signing on fee as well, which would have compensated, wouldn't it, for the loss of some of that cash? I didn't get, I didn't get the money I would have got from the testimony. Wow. I, I, I didn't get that. But it was going back to Man City. It was, it was like I tell you, unfinished business. And that's the quote I said. Mm. I'm going because I've got unfinished. The sad thing was I didn't get a chance to say goodbye again to the West Ham fans. I didn't know Chelsea when I played. And I think I ran both the goals. We won 2-1. I didn't know that was my last game. Mm. I got the phone call in between. And I went and spoke to Joe. And, and I just talked to him straight away. And it wasn't financial. They were going down to the third tier of English football. But it was Man City. And I wouldn't have left West Ham for any other club. He was a scouser as well, wasn't he, Joe? Yeah. Was he scouser? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. When I moved back, going back to them, the ridiculous rumours, when I moved back, I couldn't, I couldn't live near Manchester with protection of my children. So I ended up living in Southport, which is an hour and 15 minutes away. Mm. I had to drive, I had every day to training for three and a half years. And Joe was living 15 minutes from me. So it was Andy because he liked the pint on the team bus on the way home. So I would drop him off and give him a lift. <laughs> and I know he also brought me back to bring the dressing room together. It wasn't just about football. Yeah. 50-odd pros there. And it was like Midnight Express, you know, where the drug trafficker in, in Turkey is in. Yeah. The and they're all walking around the circle and he's walking around the other way. <laughs> That's what he brought me in for, to walk around the other way. But, uh, hey, in that division, you came up against Bournemouth again. And I remember a very memorable game, a nil-nil draw, probably the most memorable nil-nil draw that I've mm. ever seen where City had two players sent off and one of the players was sent off for aggressively walking towards the referee. Do you remember that game? Kevin Orlock. Yeah. Aggressively walking, never heard it before. Did you imagine <laughs> <the other player? laughs> He'd still get it wrong. Wouldn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a strange one, wasn't it? It was really weird. Mental game. Mental he game. He still talks about that today, Kev. I think that's what he's famous aggressively walking. <laughs> I, I got sent off playing for Carlisle after the game had finished. I said to the ref, uh, he said, what number are you? I said, 10. That's a straight one and a simple one. 
Blackburn away, but I mean, Alan Shearer dove for a penalty. I think for his Africa again, he always got Africa. But anyway, I've, I've had a real go at him, and then we're about to kick off, and the rest looked at me, and I've gone. If he could get sent off uh, aggressively walking towards a referee, Roy Keane would only have made about eight appearances, wouldn't he, in his, in his whole life? The, the, uh, so, obviously, then you, you, your career took a different turn altogether over towards the, uh, towards the United States. Um, how did you? Uh, how did that move come about? And uh, uh, I got out of prison without picture. It's classic. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I had a pint with him that night. Who is it? Is that Roy Keane? Roy Keane, yeah. Blimey! I had a pint with him in Nottingham that night. He's a good lad, actually. That was just I was trying to help him. I was calm him down. <laughs> help him what? Swallow his food. <laughs> so America, how did that come about? Don't be fooled by all that long hair and high heels. <laughs> did you did you choose Miami or did Miami choose you, Bish? It was that either that old Barry Town. Miami or Barry Town, because I went and played Champions League for Barry Town. With, with Kenny Brown, Kenny phoned me up one day. I went, fancy playing in the Champions League. I said, you owe me life. He went, oh, Barry's down, he won the World League. And it was brilliant. We went uh, at a four-day trip to Latvia. I thought that's where Father Christmas lived, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> went up for him now. About four o'clock in the morning. No, it was... It was, it was it was it was decent. The, the, the Miami thing, I was at City and, and a similar scenario, really. Um, we'd done all we could. We got the back-to-back promotions at Man City. And then once we got to the Premier League, Joe's decided to buy three centre-halves and play two centre-halves in the older midfield role as well. So it was a case of solidify and we played three at the back, three centre-backs, two centre-backs and wing-backs. And I wasn't He'd bring me on when we needed something and then praise me or start me when he thought, you know, I'd done enough. I was 35 then and I think he was getting pressure from upstairs about playing me at that age and playing the youngsters because obviously, as you know, play the younger ones, even if you don't fancy them in the long run, if you've got games under the belt, even now they command a fee. Yeah. So I think that was, that was sort of the case. Plus, it was a fear factor in going into the Premier League, I think, at the time. Uh, well, I played up until March, you know, I think I'd started maybe 12 games or, or whatever. I still thought I was good enough at 35. I thought I could have been Stanley Matthews. I thought I could have played in my 50s, you know. I wouldn't have got any slower, would I? <laughs> so, you know, my contract was coming to an end. I wasn't ready to go on the coaching staff. I wasn't ready to stop playing. And Acer offered it was. He'd actually been play, he played in the States. He knew Ray Hudson, who ended up being my coach at Miami. He, uh, he pulled me aside and said, how oh, do you fancy playing in the States? How oh, do you fancy going to Florida? Or Barry Town? Tough choice. Tough choice. Uh, I, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll have a chat with him. And then I 
you know, I've always been like a bit of a gypsy. Get up and go. If the time's right or you've had enough, get up and go. So I thought, well, you know, I can go and see, and if it doesn't work out, I'll just come on. What's, what's the worst thing that can happen? And the worst thing happened. The club folded after one season. Two more years, double my wages, double it again. I was going to be set for life. And then uh, that's like my walk when I come home from the pub. (laughs) (laughs) There was uh, one incident you had with Carlos Valderrama, who who, uh, you got a bit of an altercation. He spat at you, I believe. Was that because he was jealous of your hair? (laughs) Um. (laughs) <laughs> oh, and I wasn't jealous of his neither. Maybe the one, maybe the four coming out of his mole. <laughs> I look more like mine. Now we, we, he'd been at Miami, and to be fair, the lad said he was a great fella, you know. Um, and I thought he was a quality player, footballer. You know, you watch him play for Colombia in the World Cups. Everything goes through him. Nothing's more than fifteen yards, but every other every other pass is his. And you know, he made things happen, and he linked that team up and. Um, he'd been at Miami the season before, so the lads knew him well. And, and I'd just come in and, and, and your predecessors, I don't think about I don't care. Somebody asked me something about when I went to West Ham, it was the pressure following on from Paul Ince. And I didn't even think about Ince being at West Ham. You know, it was it was me coming in and me showing who I am. So, But we would tamper away and, and I'd batter them, to be fair. I, I dominated the game. I battered him. We were 4-0, 4-0. And a minute from the end of the game, our centre-offs cleared one. It's come out the sky. And I'm looking around, and I've got all the time in the world to control it. And I trapped it with my ass. Instantly. <laughs> 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 I just had to come down and sat on it. And if someone had done that to me, I wouldn't be happy. And now I see him even towards me. It was like a yellow bush coming <laughs> uh, with a in it. <laughs> I hope he doesn't see this, by the way. I, I, I don't think he's a massive fan of the show, to be honest. <laughs> he's come steaming towards me. I've just got my foot on the ball. I'm thinking, he's got to kick me here. I let him get close enough, and then just close enough or far enough away. I just told Poker away to my teammate and he just keeps on running. And now he's pushing me and, and we're having a go and he's swearing at me in Spanish and I'm just laughing. I'm just going, oh, I can't stand you, mate. I can't stand you. He's furious. And I would have been furious. I don't blame him. I really can't. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was wrong, but instinct. So it's like, now he's having a go. Now the lads have seen, the refs seen, and the refs come in. And the lads, as soon as the lads sort of grabbed my arms and pulled me away, sat my face right in front of the ref, ref red-carded him, and then blew the final whistle. So I couldn't get him, you know. I couldn't mm. – I was like, you don't you don't spit. You don't, whatever it is, you don't spit. I'd rather him have headbutted me and broke my nose, you know. But, like, after the game, I'm, I'm fuming. I'm wanting to go and get him now. So I said to a couple of my mates, I went, I'm going in, he come with me. And one of them went fish, she's Colombian and lives in Miami. I went, you have it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There's bigger, there's bigger, there's better fish to fry than that, isn't there? <laughs> you ended up playing at um, New Orleans Shell Shockers. Was that a name that you came up with after a few drinks? 
I don't even know how you know about that, to be fair, because it was only supposed to be like three months, four months, just to sort my visa out to come back and live here, because after Miami folded, so I've got, this is, this is where we're at, I've got Mel Mason's sack, Lou Riccardi's sack, to Miami, he's got the club folded. Um, <laughs> Right, in Southport, which when Howard Kendall come in to see me to have a drink, I asked him, was he, had he come to sell me to another pub? <laughs> he sat me down and told me that he'd had death threats and that, you know, from the Man City fans. So the thing with me and Howard wasn't all nasty. But the New Orleans thing was, after a year, probably the best year of my life, owning the pub, I decided it wasn't good for me. So, uh, the, the opportunity came up to go and get a visa. Uh, a lad, Steve McInnesby, I think, if you remember, played for Bolton and Fulham, Scottish lad, centre-back. He'd been in touch and said, look, there's a, he'd come over here, Irish lad, Kenny, who run the New Orleans shell shop, and said, come and coach and get your visa, and then you can move over. And, okay, it'll be four months, like, you know. It's, it's called PDL, it's Premier Development League. It's where the college kids are in their off-season come and play and keep fit for three or four months, you know, till they go back. So I thought, okay. So the, the idea was just to coach. And I ended up staying in the apartment with Mark Esty, Mark and Esty. And New Orleans doesn't shut. Never. The best place for me, you know. We go out, we'd, we'd play on a Friday night. I was supposed to just coach, but then it was hard getting the instructions out. So I ended up sitting in the middle of midfield. I actually scored more goals for them, I think, than my average than I did anywhere else. I don't know whether three of them were three kicks or whatever, but so I sat in the midfield coaching from within within the field, which is what I did when I played anyway. So but I was 39 at the time. And it was brilliant because we traveled to Nashville and stay over after the game. We traveled to Memphis. But it was like old school, it was like 10 hours on a bus. So it would be like a party on the bus and and I'm 39 and people are looking at me going, Oh you're playing the Premier League now with these youngsters and and Macker and Kenny and and we're living it up. I actually got I got asked to leave Graceland. All my stories are already out from everywhere. This was the last last gym. I haven't done a Bournemouth podcast yet. So I'm about to hear you there. Now it's hard now. Your book's gonna be six pence or something. It's not even hardback or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, you have to wear the headphones and the security. I'm cracking jokes and not realising my mates can't hear me. I'm just being <laughs> secure. Classic, classic. Oh, yeah. Who does that? They said, would you call sitting on his toilet? That's how you <laughs> It's like a... It's like a country and Western fan dream going to all them towns, Nashville, Memphis. The, the uh, you must love America though, because you, I mean, you, you you could come back, and you? you must love it there. Yeah, have you seen it now? Well, well yeah, it's probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. I love I love living on the golf course. I don't know if you can see behind me. I, I love where I am. I, I've been here fifteen years now. You know, uh, I'm, I'm in a lovely place. Um, I didn't realize till till the lockdown happened how much I hate people. Then <laughs> I didn't want to be outside anymore. <laughs> yeah. so, would you would you say you earned more money as a poker player than you have as a footballer? Nah, 
No, nah, I look. I had one. I had one good year where I was going to. I was going to kick on as a profession, um, and then they they banned the online poker here. So I think that was oh six oh seven or something. I had a good year. I went to the World Series. I, I qualified online, won the fifteen grand package. I had to win ten consecutive steps or tables, and I did that. Even then, I mean, I, I don't count myself as lucky. Even then, when I won it, I was in the house on my own, so I had no one to celebrate with. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was nobody there. So I waited four months. <laughs> I waited four months to go and play in Vegas, right? I'd won the 15 grand package, which was a 10 grand buy-in, $1,000 or £1,000 spend. They give me a suitcase full of party poker gear. Um, 12 nights in the MGM Grand, and I couldn't wait. It was like you choose day 1A, B, C, or D. So day 1A was the Friday or the, no, the Saturday. B is the Sunday, C is the Monday, D is the Tuesday, so day two would be Wednesday. And it's, you know, it's, it is massive and massive money, but you've got to fight your way through. I think that year there might have been 8,500 players. I mean, no. It sounds a hell of a lot, but you just concentrate on the table. So yeah. People are getting knocked out when you don't, you obviously don't notice. But I was waited four months after qualifying and uh, I lasted 40 minutes. It's like, it's, I was just say, if Sam shows that picture again, is that your favourite T-shirt, Ian? Because it looks like it might be. Oh, I see that one. <laughs> <laughs> You've been caught there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about what about the arts? Describe your artistic style. Look, I've always liked to do it. I've never I've never been qualified. I've never been to art school. I didn't really do it in school. After the third year of seniors, uh, I've done some pitches over the years for for friends. I did one for Noose actually. If you'd ever have him on, he might still have it. I don't know. Just a, a pencil drawing for him. Um, about, I think I charged him five pints or something. <laughs> it's just something that if I've got time, I'll do, and and it's no big deal. Right now, when I'm sort of part time coaching, sort of playing a little bit of poker when it's open, do I do I want to go back to school, get good enough to maybe sell some paintings? I've got some. I have got some decent paintings. It's I say decent. They may look decent to you. To me, they just it's. I have to stop looking at them because I never think they're ever finished, you know? Mm. I actually just, I got rid of them. I gave one as a gift to my friend's wife. Um, she told me she liked the Florida Sunset, so I did a the Florida Sunset. And I must have changed it about 50 times, and every time I looked at it, I changed it again. So I ended up giving it so I could stop looking at it sort of thing, you know? But I've got a couple, couple in the house now that... Uh, they're not bad. Um, can they be, can they be bought anywhere, Ian? Yeah, not anywhere. You'd have to. I'd have to do it. I never even thought of selling them. But but a friend of a friend of a friend who's been in, I've seen some of it. Has just commissioned me to do something. So I'm now going to put some together and decide. Okay, he's commissioned me. He's offered me. Yeah, the the two pictures there. That one there is is one of the Beatles. The Union Jack one is the Beatles, and the other one is Winston Churchill on the beach. I don't know how close you can get to that or see it or make it out, but it's actually a famous picture of the Beatles that I put my own spin on and put the Union Jack in there. And then the other one is 
as Winston Churchill sort of in the moonlight, giving a victory sign over the English Channel sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, nice. That's brilliant. Have you, you've got, I mean, you've, you've led such a fascinating life in, and you clearly got a low boredom threshold, I think, haven't you? Because you, like you like to crack on and do do new things, uh, which is fantastic. I mean, it's what life's all about. We're only here for one reason, aren't we? Where, where do you think you'll be in 10 years? What do you think you'll be up to? Well, I might be home, actually. I might home be, here? I, I wouldn't mind coming back and doing some something to do related with football. I can't see myself ever going and getting my licences and being a coach, although I think I may have missed out. You know, I speak to West Ham fans and obviously City fans aren't going to complain. Not having Pep, but uh, you know, I, th I think it, there might have been an opportunity if I'd have gone and got me licenses. But I mean, I had my reasons not to do it back back then. I didn't like the fact that my mates were trampling over each other to get jobs. Um, I think my friendship was was worth more than that. Mm. I wasn't I wasn't excited about going and having somebody who knew less than me about football teaching me football. Maybe I was a bit arrogant. You know, but it, it wasn't an arrogance from me. Maybe it seems that way. I just didn't want to. Uh, even now, look, I think I think I could come in and coach in the Premier League. I think I could be somebody's assistant, but I'm not going to go through the rigmarole of getting all that. Two years for this, two years for that. Mm. I, I probably got bored halfway through, and and not do it and start painting or something like that. You know, but if I could come and do TV work. That'd be brilliant. I'd, I'd love to if I got an offer. You know, I'll come back to his radio. Don't watch games. What, what more do you want? Don't watch yeah. games. Talk about them. It's why we set up the podcast. I said to my sons, look, I watch games with you. They live up in Orlando, which is three hours away. Well, go up there and we watch it for the footy and we debate about it all, about everything. Hmm. Why don't we just... I was tired of shouting at the telly and, and trying to write my point on Twitter and I didn't get enough characters, you know what I mean? I couldn't get me across, and I never liked that text where you abbreviate everything. Did me head in. So mm. well, you know what? Let's have a couple of beers and and a bit of fun, and you know we call it five points in because that's exactly what it is. I want to <laughs> I want to loosen people's tongues. I'm not scared to say what I feel. You know, if you believe it's true, then then just say it. It upsets people. It upsets, you don't go out to upset people. Mm. Be five points with all my teams. Badges in there, I don't even notice in the glasses. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Design that. And, and we called it that because, look, they remember, I always said to them, I wish I could wake up feeling like I'd had five pints. That's <laughs> happy, you know what I mean? You lose your inhibitions and everything's funny, everything's happy. It's what happens after that where it goes pear shaped. I see the, the cockatoo still likes you because it's giving you wolf whistles in the background there. Somebody asked me, was I working on a building site? And <laughs> <laughs> he hates me guts. <laughs> I can't tell you now, you won't see. He bit me lip. I needed five stitches. The cockatoo? Yeah, it's like the lip. I was in the cockatoo and I went to feed him and he came down to bite it and he bit me lip instead. <laughs> I swear, if, I, if it, I, know, I can't show you the picture, I had a gash like it was like that. Oh, Jesus. Like, unbelievable. When unbelievable. You, when, when you watch us play, in, who, who, uh, when you watch Bournemouth play, who impresses you? I like I like Fraser. You know, obviously Callum Wilson and and 
he's got his England acclaim. Um, I like Harry Wilson. Whatever's going to happen with him, is he going back? Is he not? You know, uh, obviously uh, Nathan Ake. I don't know if he'll turn for this season. Somebody will. Maybe Chelsea will come and get him back. I don't know. I hope not. Let's hope things work out. We stay up. We can afford to keep everybody uh, and add to the squad. You know. So in that relegation battle, if there were three teams, let's say it was the Cherries, West Ham, and Manchester City, which team would you want to be relegated? That's not fair. Where is he? Doing a Hammers eleven tomorrow, and I've already told them I'm not doing it. And, and it, it's like saying, it's like saying to your mum and dad, "Who's your favourite child?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. You know, I've, I have too many friends, too much respect for everybody, and 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 what I say, like I'm an Arsenal fan. Now, if you'd asked me if it was Arsenal or Bournemouth, Arsenal or City, Arsenal or West Ham, I would rather the teams I played for stay up. Yeah, rather than the team of support because I have a different love for the teams that you play for and I have a different love for Bournemouth than I do for West Ham because different things happen you know like Everton for me was, was my, my ground and it was my roots my here you go here's a door walk through it you know Carlisle was, was sort of made me made me a man sort of thing in the world of football Bournemouth was it, it sort of retrieved me from from a sort of hole that it fell in and and gave me a platform for West Ham to come in and well, sorry, Man City to come in and sort of take off. So and, and even looking at look, I me mean, nine years at West Ham, I had a couple of relegations, but it all meant so much to me. It was a learning process still even then. You know, the fact that my year at Bournemouth didn't yield any any misery or or horrors, so to speak. You know, there's only a love that you have. Uh, one Man City fan said to me when I went back, and I, they do the City Square outside, I'm sure you've been, the big screen and the stage outside, and he said to me, uh, you were there in the bad times. And I thought about it, I went, I didn't have any bad times. Mm. The first five months I was there, we had the Derby win and, you know, we were in the top flight. And then I left because of Howard wanting somebody else. It wasn't bad. And then when I went back, we got back-to-back promotions. So I didn't have bad times with City, although I was there when they were having a bad time. Mm. So for me, the, the year of Bournemouth was, was a different chapter of my life. I can't compare it to nine years at West Ham or to three and a half years and two spells at Man City. I can't compare it. But everything about it was good. And, and like I said, I'm an Arsenal fan. And your Bournemouth fans, you have a different feeling. As a football fan, I would sacrifice the team of support for one of the teams that I played for. Even Carla, you know, that's still yeah. so much to me. What, yeah. what it gave me was, it, it was a bedrock and, and a foundation for what I, what I did in the future, you know? Well, Bishop, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on tonight. I think we've kept you, you've, you've nearly made the Harry record of two hours for the show. Without so, lunch, without going for a meal. Without going for a meal. So <laughs> it's been fantastic. Love those stories. Dave's saying good answer, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. It's, it's know, been great. Honestly, I've been looking forward to I've been looking forward to coming down. And I make sure when this when these gates open again that I will be down here as soon as I can. Fantastic. It's, it's a little bit awkward because 
family in Liverpool. And, and obviously, when I do get, sometimes Man City invite me back or sometimes West Ham invite me back. So I'm sort of obligated to go to them places. And I really, look, I, I came down for the weekend and had a lovely, lovely stay down there. Uh, went to New Forest and, and I got to the stadium. Obviously, there was no game on, but it was nice. It was a lovely feeling going back. Mm. I sort of remembered the way, which I didn't think I would. <laughs> well, you're, you're much loved and, and much missed. So thanks, thanks for everything, even in that one season. You're a legend. Pleasure, fellas. Great speaking with you. Uh, Neil, thanks for coming on as well. That's yeah, been my pleasure. Loved every minute of it. Amazing stories there from Ian Bishop. What a lad. And I've got to say, the Five Pints In podcast, it's also viewable on YouTube as well. Just search Five Pints In Ian Bishop and you'll find him. Um, It's really a great listen and a great watch. So I wholeheartedly recommend you check it out. So coming up, the next episode is Tommy Heffernan. That you do not want to miss. The views for it on YouTube really took me by surprise because you look at sort of some players from the 80s, you think, oh, maybe that won't go down too well. But I tell you what, it did. And I think it's helped by his very forthright opinions, a number of F-bombs and some very frank opinions on today's Premier League wannabes. Um, Also then... After that, Warren Cummings and Brian Stock, who are fantastic to listen to, some real candid conversation. And we ask Warren to confirm about Jimmy Quinn and his dog. Did he, did he really take him to training? Um, Warren will give you the answer to that. So stay tuned. Remember to give us a rating on your podcast app if you can. And if you haven't subscribed to us on YouTube, well, there's loads of content to come. So if you haven't got any podcasts to listen to, there's always a new video to watch. So just go to youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. But for now, thank you very much for listening to the lockdown interviews. Stuart Slater. Slater charging into the box. Needs some support. Finds Martin Allen. Oh, Martin Allen can't find the finish. Bishop shoots and there it is! Ian Bishop! Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.